Welcome to VR Hermits, a podcast about virtual reality development. I'm Dave Ramsey. And I'm Joe Simpson. How's it going, Dave? Doing really good, Joe. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. What have you been working on this week? Um, I guess not much and a lot. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a very light week, and but yet we still have a ton of topics to talk about today. Um, so I guess let's kick it off with Steam VR. The we talked last week about trying to figure out the best way to use the Steam VR plugin that is on the Unity store and you know whether or not that's necessary. It's definitely not necessary. I, I met a developer yesterday who's made his entire project without using any of the interaction stuff that I want to use. Um, it, it's a lot more work to do it that way and you miss out on some of the benefits. Did he uh, regret it? I don't think so, but he also didn't know about the interaction toolkit until I showed him in my project. <laughs> okay. So he may regret it now. Gotcha. <laughs> but, awesome. Um, so last week we talked about, you know, what, what I should do. Should I, you know, try to build it myself? Should I use that code? Should I modify that code? Should I just kind of duplicate and copy in what I need and keep the Steam VR stuff in a separate project to reference? And I reached out to Jason from Unity 3D College, it was the blog we talked about last week, and he sent me an email back. Um, didn't quite answer the specific question of whether or not he actually modifies the code. He didn't want. To, I don't think he wanted to touch that one. Um, but he he's been in the habit of just targeting using the Steam VR, targeting Steam VR, rather than try to build a more abstract solution with like a wrapper to target Oculus and other devices. Um, which is working out pretty well kind of for the entire industry because Steam is supported on Oculus Rift. Steam is now supported on the Windows Mixed Reality headsets. So you get a lot of the benefits of multi-platform device support by just targeting Steam. You Obviously, you're still limited to the one store. You can't ship to Oculus's store or the Windows App Store or whatever it's called. Um, but I think for the projects I want to do in terms of games, targeting Steam makes the most sense anyway. So I think that's what I'm going to do. In terms of how to use the plugin, I think, I, well, I ran the update last week. So I, I, there are two projects that I'm working on. One of them I just started after that update that came out. So there was no problems. And then I went back to the other project that I'm working on with the laser turrets and decided to import that latest update and right on the asset store page, the, uh, the Valve developers put a little note of like, hey, you may want to you know, close Unity, delete all the SteamVR project files, delete anything in this directory, and then import it to start over again. So that's what I did. And when I imported the plugin, uh, Unity, brought up a little dialogue of like, hey, you're importing a full project. This will overwrite all of your project settings. Click no if you don't know what that means. I'm like, oh, yeah, it'll be fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there are things in project settings that I didn't think about being in project settings. <laughs> so like for the most physics? part, that was <laughs> the physics layers and the tags. Those go with it. Uh -huh. and I, yeah. 
So I don't have a ton of those things. I had two tags and two physics layers, but I had to go fix like, you know, just six prefabs. But it was just, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't that bad in this case, but it was enough for, to teach me not to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm glad I learned on this small number of assets instead of you know, dozens or hundreds of things in a project. So I guess that's the only big gotcha I had with it. You know, next time I will just copy in the files and then reopen Unity and do it that way. So the dialogue says, click no if you don't know what this means. And you said, I know what this means. And then found out you were wrong. Yep. You should have clicked no because you don't know what this means. Exactly. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. The developer hubris. <laughs> I think we just found our episode title. Nice. So yeah, I'm gonna stick with the SteamVR plugin. I'm I don't know if I'll modify it for those specific use cases. The only thing that I found clearly that I would need to modify it if I want to use their version would be um and I'm not even sure if we talked about this on the show, but they've got those little teleport points. Like if you think back to trying the lab when you're on that mountain scene, mm-hmm. um you, in that area, you can only teleport into little round arcs or little round circles. And those are called teleport points. They're different than the teleport areas, which are just kind of meshes that you put on top of your other assets and you can teleport anywhere on that plane. The teleport points are just small. You know, you can teleport exactly here. And those have a secondary feature built in, I guess kind of half built in, where you can teleport to those and use that as a trigger to change scenes to teleport from one scene to another. And um, there's just a, a different drop-down option on the teleport, teleport point prefabs, and then you drop in the name of the scene you want to go to, and then you teleport, and nothing happens because Steam just prints out a, a, a log entry that says, implement your level loading logic here. So it's just kind of not there at all. Um, that, naturally, that log appears in the headset, right? No, no. <laughs> no, just in the uh, log in Unity. Yeah. So, you know, I could actually put my code there. I, um, I may be able to do something with extensions if I want to try to write it outside of the class. The first thing I did was try to subclass that and um, that entire... T- class like subclass it and make my own implementation of it and there were tons of other methods in there that couldn't be overridden i didn't really want to go like the point of subclassing it was not to touch it but in order to subclass it i'd have to heavily modify the (laughs) file so i'm like well that's not a good option um so maybe i can do something with extensions i don't know that c sharp has extensions in the way that i'm thinking about them do you know if that's a thing Uh, it does um, the only trick is that it doesn't have variable extensions. It only has method or function extensions. Okay. So in Swift, you can add, like if there's a, a length property on a string, in Swift, that won't be a function. It won't be length, open paren, close paren. It will just be dot length. And that gets you the length of the string. It's a variable property or a, a property of that class. And so in C Sharp, at least currently, to the best of my knowledge, it's got 
you can make an extension for a method, but you can't make an extension just for a variable. Okay, so how would I make an extension for a method? Like basically this method is sitting there empty with it just, it's got a signature and nothing in it aside from a debug line. Um, would I just make another class or make an extension and feed in the same signature somehow? Like how, do, how does that actually work? Well, you wanna do an extension that doesn't override? Okay. But no, I, I'm asking. Like I, I think I think so. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the, the the current method doesn't do anything. I just need to wherever that gets called, I need to piggyback something else on it. Gotcha. I think. Then you. This gets into those spots in object oriented development that I'm not all that hot on. You should just be able. I mean, if all you want to do is change that method. Mm -hmm. then you should be able, be to... able to subclass and override that method. Yeah. That Just that work. one. It didn't work. Yeah. Okay. Doing that got me a lot of console errors. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons that it, that it might not work. I'm not sure that you can do that with an extension. Mm. Um, yeah. I've always thought of extensions as extending, not overriding. You might be able to. I mean, it's a Google search away. Yeah. And this is the only kind of case that has come to mind recently of like things that I would want to change about SteamVR. There may be other things that I come across later. If I don't come across those, I kind of like your other idea of just put a trigger volume on top of the um, teleport point and just use the teleport point for the graphical version and still just have a collider that is a trigger to actually initiate the scene change, which is what I'm doing now. And that works just fine. But so I guess this was more of an example of like, should I be modifying steam or not? Honestly, the, I don't know. I will probably just end up modifying the code as I see fit because there's a ton of stuff in the documentation of like, just here's what we did. This, these are all presented here to teach you how to implement these, but modify it to your heart's content. So I don't really want to just ship exactly what Valve has and make it look too much like the lab. I'd rather kind of put my own twist on things, especially any of the visual and audio stuff. Um, so I will probably just, you know, draw a line in the sand with the current version and modify away. And when the next version comes out, I will, you know, compare changes and see if there's anything I need to implement myself, see if anything got removed and you know kind of go from there and by the time i am done with one of these projects i could probably strip out most of steam vr most of the assets because a lot of it's just examples there's a lot of classes in the interaction stuff that i'm not even going to need um so i could just end up incorporating my own do you think that's a good idea to do it that way or should i actually just you know duplicate and rename the classes that I want and just kind of work from the ground up that way. That might work. Another one that I was thinking about is to minimize your exposure. Mm -hmm. And so what if you built a secondary class that's contains all the code that you would want to put there and then work it so that all you have to put in that f function or in that method 
is like one or two lines. Like make instantiate my class, call this method on my class. And that's mm, okay. all that actually goes in their file. And then if you want to update the thing, all you have to do is put in those two lines of code again. It's the same two lines every single time because all you're doing is passing control basically to another class. Mm-hmm. Either as classes or making them as just unclassed functions, basically, so that they yeah. can be called from anywhere, like static functions or something like that. And so you can just reach out and grab those without without strongly tying them that... I mean, technically that's going to be a strong connection, but within this context, it's a pretty narrow connection. Yeah. Maybe? Yeah, I know. That's a good idea. I hadn't considered that. Um, I mean, usually it's not an option. Like, usually if I'm interacting with a class like this, it's because it's part of .NET. Yeah. And I'm not, I can't edit their source code. Um, so I haven't really thought through the implications. It's also going to depend upon if you need additional data from the original class, like how big is your method signature going to be? Are you going to be passing eight parameters or is it going to be two? Yeah. I'd like to pass two, <laughs> maybe three. Um, but yeah, hmm. yeah, that's just an good, idea. That's a good thought. I will have to make notes of that tomorrow. And then you'd have just kind of, you've, you're really good with checklists. Mm-hmm. So you would end up with a checklist that says, when I do a new version of this, do this, don't do this. And then, you know, like back up my, uh, my physics layers <laughs> and my tags. <laughs> make yeah. sure I've got those cleanly documented. Do the update reinstant re-put those in and then add these two lines of code to this file and it works thanks yeah Maybe? i haven't looked i haven't looked to see if there's like an xml file that holds all those physics layers and tags mm. i hope there is somewhere under the hood because i'd rather just make, make a copy of that as needed just you like the file maker server settings file things like that you don't want to just do that editor <laughs> no not really you know, that is one of the nice things about playing with version control is sometimes it will help expose some of that functionality for you. Mm-hmm. Like open the project, edit just that one thing, close and save the project and look and don't run it. Just mm-hmm. close and save the project and look in version control to see what gets updated. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, to try and track that down. So I've also been continuing to work on VR landscape. Mm-hmm. I guess the only feature I have working in VR landscape is spinning my wheels. <laughs> um, That's what you wanted, right? Nope. No. So not a lot of progress. Um, basically I've just been trying stuff in the asset store and trying to figure out what looks good, what can run at a reasonable frame rate. Um, and just trying to find actual 3D versions of things, anything that uses the level of detail system that falls back to uh, billboards ends up looking like total garbage in VR. And today I spent some time with a procedural system called Gaia, and I don't know, it was kind of a a wake-up call. Like, I kind of know this, but this was the, the landscape in particular made this most evident of, like, 
game development is so sophisticated and there are so many optimizations available and so many awesome things you can do to make really incredible 3d games and none of them work in vr (laughs) (laughs) just forget it all of those awesome things like it just seems like every awesome feature of unity or unreal or just what you would expect to find in a modern game just like forget it it doesn't work that way in vr it's going to be a different way um so landscapes make that most obvious so i made i used gaia to you know i followed through their quick start guide and i made a couple of test scenes and these are very complicated massive terrains with thousands and thousands of game objects and trees and buildings and stuff and in on my computer in the editor i'm running at 157 frames a second in the viewport and i play the app with a little player controller not a VR controller, a regular Unity player controller from the uh, sample content. Still 150 frames a second. Like this thing is just blazing fast. It's super optimized. You know, it's, it's doing all the level of detail calculations. So it's using simpler assets for things that are farther away. It's using all kinds of calling stuff. It's great. Throw Steam VR at it, 20 frames a second. <laughs> <laughs> and then. I spent the rest of the morning just like, okay, make as small of a landscape as possible. Because that one was huge. That was like, I didn't even look at it in units, but it was it was a massive area, probably you know a kilometer or two across. So I tried to make something smaller and smaller and smaller. And eventually I just tweaked the settings of Gaia so far that I broke it and gave up and had lunch and spent the rest of the day reading. But uh, yeah, it's just... If I want to make complex outdoor scenes, I, I don't know. I don't see a good way to do that right now. I was talking to a developer who's been working on this for the better part of a year. His game, he was initially doing some procedural stuff. and He actually showed us at COG at one point. Uh, this is a developer who was doing the... Um, he was building the avatar that he wanted to track at your movement as you go. But part of his game was also using a procedural uh, landscape system. And after working with it and working with landscape assets for the better part of a year, he's decided that he's going to just pull that entire part of the project and just start building scenes from the ground up. Um, So it just doesn't seem to be kind of worth the trade-off. There's issues with water. There's issues with reflection probes. Grass is a frame weight killer um the entire billboard system looks pretty bad there are there's an issue we talked about last week where like anything that's rendered as a 2d object kind of moves around in a funky way Mm -hmm. so yeah it's just it's not pretty um have you seen island 359 i have not okay uh steam game 20 bucks right now it's in early access um, it's basically Jurassic Park, the VR game. Okay. Um, lots of little dinosaurs running around. The good news is you have guns. Um, as a preview for something we're going to be talking about later, it has a couple of really cool UI interactions in it. Um, but we can, uh, we'll leave that conversation for a bit. Um, one of the things that it has that's really nice. Now it, it's not doing procedural terrain. They pre-created the stuff. But what they did with some of their plant elements 
was you kind of render them as a collection of planes. So it's not rendered as a 2D object, but the frond on this plant is one flat plane Mm -hmm. that's, say, a foot by a foot, on which we render a single texture of a plant leaf but then I can make, I mean, like like a, a fern frond. Yeah. But yeah, then I can make a plant out of five of those. Yeah, and that's how I was modeling stuff in Maya with okay. some of the tutorials. Those are the types of assets that I want to find, but good luck finding those. I'm sure they exist in the asset store, but the asset store is so full of landscape material. It's like it's finding the landscape in the haystack. <laughs> Gotcha. I misunderstood. I thought you were trying to figure out how to do it, not figure out how yeah, no, to buy it. I know what I want. I just can't find it. Gotcha. There, there's just so much of the other stuff, and it's because the other way is the optimized, better way of doing it. Right. Okay. Or at least, you know, subjectively better. It's definitely better for mobile games. Um, and maybe a step down from the the coolest looking things on desktop, but, but yeah, it's just what I've everything I found so far is just like, no, we're using as many 2d billboard stuff as possible. I'm like, Nope. Don't want that. Give me 3d grass. Give me 3d trees. Like, or, or I'm putting this back inside of room. Yeah. And (laughs) actually it's funny you mentioned that. I thought about modifying. This is entirely just a little side project that I'm doing with somebody else. And uh, so I thought about just modifying, the project requirements and I may talk to them tomorrow um, and make the entire thing rather than large open landscapes. Maybe we're in some kind of a, a habitat and we have to go visit each of these environments, but they're just built inside of a dome or a smaller enclosed area. So like, yes, we've got this, you know, great plains looking scene, but it's only, you know, the size of a gymnasium. Right. That's all, all the space we could spare on the surface of the moon or whatever. 100 yards by 100 yards. Mm-hmm. So I think that may, that's definitely on the project list or project requirements. And I want to bring that up because I think that's a, potentially a good way to go as well. Could make for some interesting stuff. So yeah, landscapes, it's a, a thorn in my side so far. I just need to. This is definitely one of those areas where I'm kind of figuring out the questions to ask as I go along. So it's working on my other project. There's a lot to figure out, but I have already decided what I want to make and generally know the tools to make it. It's just a lot of work to do it. But this project, it's it's kind of it's not very well defined, and I don't know the tools as much. Um, so it's a bit more frustrating to spend five or six hours and basically be at the same place that I started. Like I still don't have anything to show for it other than I found out six more things that I can't do. Like that kind of development isn't always fun. So let's talk about something more fun. Um, And this is a a bigger topic. And I, I think we both are coming at this from just stuff we've been experiencing lately. I was thinking a lot about teleportation systems today. I was playing through uh, the gallery, the Call of the Starseed, 
something that I got when I got the Vive last year and I played through it for a little while and then I lost interest and never went back to it. So I decided to finish the game today and it's, it's a great little game. Um, it was probably one of the older VR projects right now. It's been around for quite a while and they have a teleportation system in it called Blink that, um, it's a, it's a bit customizable by default. When you teleport, you click the trackpad and look where you want to go, and it shows you a little circle of where you're going to teleport to, and you just kind of move your head around. Um, there's also a way to disable that and use the controller to point, so it's kind of a bit more like it works in the lab. And uh, that system is pretty good. There's other apps that I've tried that have a similar arc teleport, but they also have like a rotation built in. And I really, really like those um, because it's really easy to just get keep turning around and turning around and turning around in your play space. It's kind of nice to be able to rotate once in a while. Um, and in particular, I like apps that let me reposition kind of wears forward in the world rather than locking it into whatever the play space says it is. And it's partly because my play space is set up in a way that the forward vector points towards my desk so that when I'm developing, I can put the headset on and look in the same way that the camera is pointing. Mm -hmm. um, but that's not the optimal way for me to play games because the cord is on the wrong side of me. And this is like, <laughs> the cord's always kind of in the front. So it's not great. But I was thinking about these things and like, there really isn't a standard way of doing these, these systems. Um, but I feel like it's only a matter of time before the industry kind of starts to make standards of like, here is how to do a teleportation system. Everybody can make it look and behave a certain way, but here are the things that we want. Just like with, you know, first person shooters, nobody's really in reinventing the controls for those. Like, no, we're going to use, you're going to at least provide an option for me to use it the way that I want. Um, so I, I, I kind of see a need for, kind of every version of these things like really really simple point and click teleport the arc teleport the show my play space don't show my play space um rotation moving up and down planes uh, you know I, I feel like this should get to the point where we can make assets like this but make it customizable and kind of user preference like no i only like to teleport in straight lines or with a laser pointer, I only like to teleport. I, I always want rotations because I have a small play space, things like that. Uh, but you had a lot of other stuff in user experience that you were thinking of as well, based on your very professional part-time job as a survivor of a nuclear apocalypse. Yeah, with, one with friends. Um <laughs> So as we've discussed before, I've been playing around with Fallout 4 VR for the Vive. And one of the things that I really like doing is turning on friends to VR. Like mm -hmm. bring them over, plug them in, walk them through, see what's going on. There's a couple of friends that I have that have previously played with the Vive who were huge Fallout fans. So they'd really been looking forward to Fallout 4 VR. And to a man... The um, experience has been, wow, this looks amazing. Uh, 
while when I move around it makes me feel ill. <laughs> oh dear God, these controls are horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, I've talked about the controls previously. They have not gotten better. Um, I've I've gotten okay at using them. Like, with a few hours of gameplay, you can get used to at least portions of navigating the menuing system and things like that. But every single person that puts on the headset and starts trying to use these controls is just horrified by how badly they work. And I wonder how a game got released that way. Like, didn't, didn't they try this? <laughs> yeah. Didn't, didn't somebody, like, I, I know you're the developer of Fallout 4, and almost all of your friends have played the game, but didn't you find somebody who hadn't played Fallout 4? So, they're unfamiliar with the menuing system, and they're unfamiliar with VR, and hand them the vibe and go, okay, can you play? Because the answer is universally no. Um, and it's even worse when they have Fallout experience. The last two people that I put through had Fallout 4 experience. And it's just the, the controls are so fiddly and weird and excessively detailed. So, like they respond to clicks in only certain areas and things like that. That it's just, it's painful to use them. And that pain takes a lot of work to get through. So... One second, you're talking about the controls suck in general, but you're also mixing this in with menus. So there's kind of two modes of the game. There's the mode you're playing in the 3D terrain when you're interacting with enemies and friendlies, mm-hmm. but there's also the menu system. Is the the regular, you know, out in the world controls, are those okay or are those a mess too? Um, those suffer from some of the same problems. Okay. Uh, but bear in mind that this game uses the menu system while you're out in the world. Yeah, but like you're not walking while you're using it or fighting while you're using it. You totally could be. Um, so there's like if you need to swap weapons or something, mm-hmm. there's a quick select, but then there's also kind of a slower select. And both of those are kinds of menus. Okay. Um, so for example, your quick select menu is basically like a pinwheel sort of thing. If you've ever seen, um, space pirate trainer, it uses the touch control to select weapon types. Yeah. And so you can just kind of push in a direction and boom, you've got that. You've changed to that kind of weapon. Um, fallout Four VR has a similar style wheel. But to access it, you actually have to press in the middle of the touch surface. In the very middle. Basically, you have to press a dime-sized circle in the middle of that surface. And if you're at least 50% outside that dime, 49% in the dime, but 51% outside the dime, touching does absolutely nothing. You're slightly off-center. You can't access the quick change menu. I watched a buddy of mine die four times this afternoon because he couldn't change weapons in a fight. 
because um, he couldn't find that special spot. Um, you spend a lot of time as you're running around in the game um, managing your inventory. You ran around, you picked up a bunch of stuff, you go back to town, and you have to dump certain things into kind of cold storage and make sure that you're keeping the right stuff for yourself. And then you go to another table and you're doing some crafting. And basically you go into town and it's just menu after menu after menu after menu. Hmm. And interacting with every single one of those is a car wreck. Just quite possibly one of the worst interactions I've ever seen in VR. Like, the worst. The fact that they're functional gains them two points. But that's out of ten. Yeah, it seems <laughs> like, like... They do work, but so catastrophically badly that you lose the other eight. Um, hmm. But yeah, yeah it's just it's rough. it's so bad. And this is not just like when I play the game and I go, wow, these controls are bad, I always assume that that's subjective. Like, this is something that it's just me being weird. Like, somebody has to have liked these controls for this to get released this way. Somebody and somewhere said this is the best way to go. No, I think it was more likely that somebody somewhere had a checklist of the things that had to be in the controls. And yeah. they made that happen. They that, fulfilled that requirement of the project and shipped it. That is what I am coming to suspect. That it was a least time port of Fallout 4 VR to uh, Fallout 4 to VR. And... As soon as it was there, they went ahead and pushed that thing out. Hmm. Like, yep, you can control stuff. Um, now, having put three people through the game, I love the fact that if you start the game standing in the middle of my play space, you're supposed to be starting in the bathroom looking at a male and female character and picking between them. And instead, you are standing outside the house. <laughs> This is from the middle of the play space. Your first vision is the outside of the house and hearing mumbled words coming from the bathroom on the other side of the wall. And the way to, to fix this is to like lean forward until your head pokes through the wall and you see that the people are standing there talking. And so you take a couple of steps forward and now you're in the bathroom and you can kind of interact with what's going on. That's your first experience playing Fallout 4 VR. It's been the same for every single person that I've sat into that thing. That's awesome. And I'm like, how? How? How did that happen? It's just like, you know, <clears throat> enter username, enter password, app crashes. Welcome to the app. <laughs> um, that That is worse. That is definitely worse. This is not a crash. But it's definitely not uh, functions as intended. Yeah. Um, if you want to talk about, like, a really good interaction... For things I love in Island 359 basically your character has a backpack and to access the backpack you reach over your shoulder and hit the trigger and pull the backpack around yeah Call of the Starseed has that too it's pretty handy and it just unspools in front of you and you put things in and you take things out and it's great problem that Island 359 has and I haven't played with a 
with it in a couple of months. So they may have fixed this through an update because they're in early access. Is if you drop one of those things, like pick up a handgun and drop it, there's a really good chance you'll never be able to pick it up. It will clip into the side of a box or something and just become mm. part of the terrain. You kind of reach around and bang your Vive controller into the ground trying to pick this thing up and get nowhere. Mm. Uh, but again, early access, that yep. doesn't... That's that's. Uh, I'm not going to kill them on points for that. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, I, I, I'm desperately looking for a game that isn't early access, that's finished, that has lots of story and can, I could spend a ton of time in. And I was hoping Fallout 4 would be that game, and it may still be at some point, but, you know, I've been playing Breath of the Wild on the Switch, and, like, that game has made me realize just the shortcomings of VR, of, like, there's nothing this engaging in VR, at least not in my library. I've tried, I've got, you know, a library of, like, 50 games, and they're all, you know, pop in blast some lasers for a while, shoot some zombies or, you know, a short story-based game that's, you know, four or five hours of gameplay max, but there's nothing that I could just go to every day after work and spend a couple hours in. And I really want that to exist. And it's like Fallout's pretty much the only thing that I know at that scale, but obviously it's got its problems as well, which I'll probably be fine with, but I don't know. I should probably get that. Now, you mentioned Call of the Wild, and I borrowed no. a Switch. You didn't? No. You did. Breath you of did. the Wild. Breath of the Wild. Call of the Starseed. Call of the Starseed. Okay, good. <laughs> Glad we got that figured out. Um, Breath of the Wild. Um, I borrowed a Switch from a friend and spent six hours last night <laughs> running around that freaking plateau. Nice. Um, I'm going to be very careful to avoid spoilers um so far i've bumped into one significant control problem with that game and i think it's a probably a nintendo versus microsoft thing in most of the games that i play so above the right analog stick is four buttons in a diamond pattern it's a relatively typical control scheme Mm mm-hmm In most of the Xbox games that I've played, this may not be universal, but in most of them, your primary action is the button just above the control stick, which ends up being just below, or the bottom point on the diamond. Yeah. That, on Breath of the Wild, is the cancel button. Yeah. And that's that's Nintendo going all the way back to the 80s. They've always had that schema back when there were two buttons. Um, so yeah, don't expect that to change. <laughs> In oh, fact, that th- that is like written into Nintendo's version of the the HIG, the Human Interface Guidelines. Like th- the A button is the affirmative button. Yeah, I cancel yeah. my way out of more freaking actions. <laughs> yeah, you'll get used to it. Like it only takes a day or two of of playing to get used to it. It's funny when I go back to PlayStation like. I, it's the same problem. The yeah. buttons are all switched again. And uh, not just that, but I've got the Switch Pro controller, which just makes my PlayStation 4 controller just feel like mush. Like I'm just like holding a bag of grits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not good. I didn't realize until I had something better, but 
you know, I forget about it after a while, but I'm to the point now with the Switch of like any games that I want to play on my TV, I'll get on the Switch if possible, rather than on PC or PlayStation. So like the uh, Portal Bridge Constructor game just came out recently, but it isn't out on Switch yet, or it wasn't when I looked, but it was coming on Switch. So I, you know, I'll just wait. I can get it for five bucks on Android right now, or I can get it on PlayStation, or I can get it on Steam. Like, nope, I'll just wait until it's on Switch. Um, there's also one other interaction that I didn't bump into, but a friend of mine did that I, I think needs either a couple of extra dialogues or, or something. But for a user, you can have one and only one Breath of the Wild game going at a time. Yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> and so it's really easy to hand the Switch to somebody and they start playing around. They're like, ooh, I'll play Breath of the Wild. And they pop in and they're like, new game. And there's a little dialogue that's just like, yep, we're going to erase the other one. And like, okay. Mm-hmm. And all your progress is gone. Yeah, not a fan of that at all. Um, happened to a friend of mine. And he's just, yeah, he's never going to pick up the game again. He was, you know, 120 hours into it or whatever and running around and oh, picking stuff up. No. And it's just, it's all gone. And he's never going to go back and redo all those puzzles. Oh, that's just nice. never going to happen. Game's over for him. Um, <laughs> were, you, were you the one that over? over no, game? no, his nephew was. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, rough. yeah. And I, I picked up my buddy's Switch and almost just kind of clicked okay through that dialogue. Mm-hmm. It was just like dialogue pops. I just said new game and it's popping up and asking me questions. Who really needs to ask answer those questions? But I'd been warned about the problem and I really looked at the dialogue and went, holy crap, I'm about to delete his game. Yeah. What, what do I have to do to make a new account on this thing? Okay, let's go 15 screens away. And once I find the interface to make a new account, it was dirt simple. Yeah, it's like and, name, picture, done. Yeah, and Zelda's the only game that I found with that problem. That's a design game, a design issue in that game. You can have multiple saves in other games that I'm playing. So they just chose not to. For that What's one. interesting is once there's two accounts on the device, when you say, like, go in here and play my game, it pops up a menu and goes, whose do you want? Mm-hmm. They almost need to keep that menu. Like, do you want this person's game or do you want to start a new one? But instead of game, you should, it should be library of games that you're playing. Like, yeah, something. I don't know. It was it was weird. Um, but that's probably the only two complaints that I can come up with. Yeah. Aside from that, it's it's really nicely put together, really well polished. The controls work pretty well. Yeah, I mean, you already gave it a pretty good endorsement when you said you played it for six hours last night. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not hard for me to spend six hours on a console game. The mm-hmm. real question is, when do I pick it up again? Yeah. And I'm probably going to pick it up again tonight. Um, but I, I don't know, we'll update in a week. I think over the, what, three weeks or so that I've been playing it, I've played it almost every day it's probably two or three days that i haven't um but yeah for the most part i'm you know every night after dinner playing that for a while i can't play console games for more than a couple hours without my arms starting to hurt 
and like the more the more I do that, the worse my RSI issues get in general. So it's like, because I'm just kind of bending my arm the entire time with the controller. Mm. So. For me, it's Nintendo thumb. There's that, yeah. that little worn spot on my left thumb. But I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. That's one of the reasons I like the Vive controllers so much is because I can use them but keep my arms straight and keep the the nerves stretched out. I tried playing the switch that the switch that way with the Joy Cons of like playing a game like Zelda with the two controllers separated and stretched out, but like my mind just doesn't map <laughs> that way. <laughs> like, whoa, this is weird. Like, I got it. Get... We're, what we're gonna do is we're gonna design and three D print. There's a little separator thing to keep the two Joy Cons mounted in together. Mm-hmm. We'll just but make really a really wide. big one. Yeah, <laughs> that's really, exactly what really I mean. Like a foot, two feet wide. So you're just going to rest your hands down and. With yeah. a bit of a curve, so the Joy Cons are kind of facing in towards each other a little yeah, bit. Just a little bit. About uh, the width of a laptop. That'd be fine. That'd be yeah. perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to bring that up to somebody at the foundry and see if they can make something. <laughs> so I bet I could actually get something like that made. Oh, even better, you can go to the foundry, take their 3D printing class, and no, make no, it no, yourself. No, 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 I'm a software guy. Okay. That's a hardware issue. Okay. Gotcha. So I got another topic that I didn't tell you about yet that I wanted to talk about. It's actually kind of two things, but I got a Windows Mixed Reality headset. Really? Yep. Okay. So this is the, you this you is didn't the tell me about that. I, I this is I am unprepared. Go ahead. So this is the platform that Windows announced last year at CES, and they launched it last fall with the Windows 10 Creator Fall Creators Edition. Um, there is a bunch of companies making headsets. Um, there's really crappy ones. There seems to be pretty good ones. I got a cheap one. So there's I think there's five or six of them now. Samsung has pretty much the cream of the crop it's got a really nice high resolution screen uh, it's an oled display it's got just better build quality and built-in audio i did not get that one um, what i got was the lenovo explorer which is a much cheaper lightweight um, headset and i've been playing around with it all weekend it got here on friday night and i've been playing around with it pretty much exclusively since and uh it's Okay. It is is not great. It's definitely... <laughs> um, I didn't get this for gaming. I got this for development. And I'm not... This is going to sound weird. I have no intention of targeting this platform. But I wanted a way to develop outside of my office. So the other thing <laughs> that was the more expensive part of this purchase was a new Windows laptop. <laughs> 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 and, and no, I did not get a razor. <laughs> what did you get, Joe? So I've been spending, I, I rejoined the co-working space that I was in for a better part of last year. Um, there are a lot of other game developers there. I just need to be around other people that I can ask questions to. It's already paying off having a really good conversation about this stuff yesterday. 
So I mentioned on the podcast before that I've been, you know, I've always kind of wanted Apple to make a stupid big laptop with desktop components and, you know, cooling and fans built in um, and just a massive machine, but they keep making thin and light stuff. And I'm just not a fan of the thin and light stuff in technology. I'd rather have a big blocky phone and a big heavy tablet. Maybe the tablet's the one thing I would like lightweight, but I'd rather a laptop can weigh as much as it wants. So you had jokingly responded to that several times like, well, there are plenty of Windows laptops like that, and you are correct. (laughs) (laughs) So I found one. It is, uh, it's an Alienware, which there's a part of me that kind of cringes that I bought an Alienware, but it is, it is a laptop technically, but it is pretty much a desktop that folds up and goes with me. <laughs> you know, it's a four gigahertz uh, i7 in it. It's got a full GTX 1080, what's tons the, of fans. What's the model? Uh, I don't know. Some long series of numbers. It's it's the Alienware 17, like 2017 version. And it's massive. This thing has a footprint that uh, it's not twice the size of a MacBook, but it's pretty big. And it weighs 10 pounds. And the power brick <laughs> weighs another 4 pounds. Oh, wow. And then the, the headset and the controllers go in the bag. By the time I had uh, everything in the backpack yesterday, I had to buy a bigger backpack to get this stuff in it. Um, by the time I had everything in the bag yesterday to walk to the co-working space, I weighed myself, then I put the backpack on, and I put on 32 extra pounds. Oh, God. Which I think is great. <laughs> like, actually, like, I don't feel like I'm going to fall over. Like, I think I'm going through my entire life off balance. <laughs> so it is a massive machine. Um, it is not something that I would ever really use on my lap, but it gets me VR anywhere and desk, desktop quality VR. And the, here's where the cool thing comes in and why it's relevant to this podcast. So this Lenovo Explorer works with the Windows Mixed Reality platform, which is okay. It, mm-hmm. I think it's going to be really handy to work in it as you get more used to that because it's, it's way easier to read text in this headset than it was, say, in the lab on the Vive. Okay. I don't know what Windows has done there with usability, but it's just... You can just pull up any web browser, any web page, and things are just crystal clear. Um, so in that regard, it's really good. It starts you off in this cliff house area where you can kind of pin apps and browser tabs to the walls. Um, it's got a little theater built in, you know, a ton of other features, and you can launch Windows Mixed Reality apps, which are basically just VR apps at this point from their Windows store. I haven't really gotten any of those. I did flip through it, and there's a surprising amount of content there. So I might have to spend some time looking at that. But the bigger news for us was that Steam VR became available for mixed reality a couple of months ago. I think it was you know early December or so. But uh, Steam wrote a little app to, you download on Steam. It's called like Windows Mixed Reality for Steam VR, or the other way around, and that just does a bunch of setup for you. And then to get into SteamVR, you open the Windows Mixed Reality app while it's running. Then you open SteamVR, and there's a little animation that transitions between the two plays. And you can, you can get back to Windows, um, the little cliff house, pretty easily. There's not a good way to, like, maybe I'm just missing something, but if I'm playing a game in Steam 
and then I hit the button to try to get back to the Steam home, I can't do that. I go back to the Windows home, and there's not a good way for me to get back into Steam. I keep ending up back in the same game. So the only way I've been able to do it so far is on the desktop, close that VR app, and then relaunch Steam VR, which is, I can do that from inside VR because I have the Windows Mixed Reality headset with the desktop inside it. So it's a bit, bit of a kludgy, like they just forgot a use case when they were linking things up. Um, but what this setup gets me is a development machine that I can work on here with my Vive, and then I can go to the sandbox with the Lenovo Explorer and the controllers and use the inside-out tracking. It's not as good as SteamVR, and I used it all day yesterday um, and got used to it. Like, yeah, this is fine. This is, you know, totally doable. And then I came home and put the Vive. I'm like, oh, no, this is VR. This is incredible. <laughs> Like it is a big difference. The vibe tracking is just so much better. The inside out tracking, it's still really cool, but it is nowhere near as awesome as the Vive. Um, but uh, in terms of just getting me a development asset on the road, it, it definitely works. The, the controllers are atrocious. Yeah. They're the least ergonomic things that I've ever seen. Um, it's basically like it's, it's like they asked an alien to make a controller but the alien had never seen what hands look like <laughs> it's just horrible <laughs> like there's yeah i can't really describe it there's a, a thumbstick there's a trackpad that barely works it works good as a clicking mechanism but not so much as a trackpad the thumbstick has a clicking mechanism built in, but the only way to actually use it is to either completely reposition your hand on the controllers or to squeeze the trigger while you're doing it. So you end up hitting two buttons. <laughs> yeah, it's just pretty, they're pretty awful. Um, they're also very cheap and they're powered by AA batteries. And uh, yeah, definitely not my favorite. They do track really well in VR, so I'll give them that. But... I am not endorsing this product in any way or recommending that anybody go get it unless they want to use it for the same way that I'm using it, which is I need access to run my Unity project in Steam VR when I'm away from my real headset, <laughs> my first true love. <laughs> um, and it, for that case, it totally works. And I thought I was going to have to do some kind of hack or workaround to get that to working, and it just worked right out of the box. As soon as I installed that, uh, that little applet that Valve made, um, running my Unity project with the Lenovo plugged in, just ran it in there with no issues. So. Now you were talking about text quality and clarity and things like that. Mm -hmm. When was the last time you did the robot repair um, gamelet I've in seen the that lab? One. And that's always had good text quality, but I, I'm talking about reading content. I can sure. definitely make out the text on those little microchips. And I did that, I guess, to answer your question, literally, I did that yesterday. Okay. Gotcha. It's just, I've never seen anything in VR look as crisp as that mm -hmm. disemboweled robot looks. Yeah. And I, I guess that reminds me of a correction. I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. And I told you, if you really like that, you should go get the lab renderer so you can use the same renderer they used to get that. But I was reading the documentation for the lab renderer, and they used the lab renderer on every scene except for that one, where they pulled out <laughs> the secret sauce. 
So. Oh, okay. It's like yeah. how how did they make that look that way? Because nothing looks that way. Yeah, they definitely pulled out the secret sauce for that one. So okay. we may never know. But yeah, the uh, the stuff in Windows looks pretty good. The Cliff House is actually kind of cool. It's got a nice little home theater with a, a night mode animation where the walls kind of animate away. Um, and it's actually, it's kind of, some would call it a bug. I think it's actually kind of cool where you walk through the house into the area for the home theater, put it in night mode. You're surrounded by a night sky. But if you look back into the house, it's still day on the other side of the house, which some people <laughs> would say that's a bug. I actually think that's kind of cool. Like making scenes like that where like out this door it's nighttime, out here it's raining, out here it's snowing. Like, where am I? There was a book that I read many years ago called Hyperion where they had good, stable, reasonable energy wormhole systems and a a, uh, a rich poet had a house that had rooms on 30 or 40 different worlds. Um. <laughs> With all sorts of weird little things, like you went down the stairs to get to the tower, which was actually, you looked at the window and it was way up high on this mountain planet and his master bathroom's toilet was on a raft in the middle of the ocean on an ocean planet, just just floating there on the raft. Um, Catch down on plumbing cost. Yeah. I, I like the idea of radically weird. Mm-hmm. Like, what was the thing? Um, there was another book that had um, a guy whose tower where he did all of his magic work had seven windows or eight windows, and they all looked out on something different. Um, hmm. I haven't that- read that, but I've heard somebody talk about that before. Well, there's also, at various points, people get confused about exactly how many windows are in the room. Which could be really fun to do. Like, while you're looking through one window, the other windows respace themselves. And so you can sit there and count, and every single time you count the windows, you get a different number of windows. Hmm. Because it's always rejiggering the geometry behind you. Nice. (laughs) Might be a fun trick to do. Yeah. So anyway. Huh. The, anyway, uh, yeah. <laughs> so the laptop is massive. The HMD I'm, is. I'm looking simple. at a picture of it, Joe. It's mm-hmm. 30% larger than your torso. Yeah. It's awesome. Like, <laughs> it's exactly what I've been looking for. <laughs> I hate to say it because I feel like such a nerd, but it is, ex- it is exactly what I wanted. Um, it does have kind of the. It's not too obnoxious of an aesthetic, but it does have like the light up keyboards and some lights on the side, but they're pretty muted compared to some of the other stuff like Razer or MSI. Um, The other contender when I was shopping for this was an MSI laptop, but it was just full of like rainbow RGB lights all over the keyboard. I'm like, that's just too obnoxious. At least this one, I can turn everything on to one color. Um... Did you yeah, get the higher a, resolution display? So I got the one in the middle that is the uh, 44 or 1440p screen, but it has the 100, 120 refresh rate. And it, 
It's hard to describe. It is not as good of a display as like the MacBook Pro for mm -hmm. working, for like reading web content, things like that. It's still pretty good, but for 3D content, it looks amazing. Um, so yeah, it's if I were going to be spending my days, like I can do FileMaker development on this, but I wouldn't want to design an entire system on this. If I, like all the layouts, I'd probably want to jump over to the Mac for that. Um, just because things look a little bit more crisp and easy to kind of zoom in and out of. But it's a nice machine. It's got something called Toby eye tracking built in as well to, on the front of the laptop. And I initially dismissed that as a gimmick and then I started using it and it's amazing. So yeah, yeah it it's built into Windows accessibility, but there's also a Toby eye tracking app that you can configure to do a bunch of different things. And it's a big screen. It's a 17 inch screen. Um, so the thing that I'm using the most on it is basically with the mouse or the trackpad, if I'm looking somewhere on the screen, I can just slightly wiggle the mouse and my cursor will kind of teleport to where I'm looking. It's almost hard to describe. It's kind of like I'm warping around the screen. So Wait, I could be working. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, my brain took a second to process that. You wiggle the cursor and it just teleport? Yeah. So it teleports to where I'm looking. So I, I could have my mouse right now. Um, I've got my mouse by the Apple logo in the top left of the screen on the, the Mac I'm recording on. Obviously, there's no to Toby eye tracking here. But if I were to look down at the call recorder window on the bottom right and then just move my mouse just a tiny bit towards that direction, the cursor will teleport to where I'm looking. And I can just keep using it there like a normal mouse. So I don't have to do any kind of long sweeps or anything like that. So huh. basically, I can use a mouse without ever really moving it at all. It's incredible. Like I can move my mouse within like maybe the size of a quarter is the only distance it has to cover. Wow. I'm thinking about like placing objects on a file maker layout. Oh, Pick yeah. the object up, look where you want it to go and shift it there. Yeah. Cool. So, wow. Uh, yeah. It's awesome. And it's also built into the trackpad. With a trackpad, all you do is just kind of uh, tap. A tap and hold for like maybe a second. Well, not even a second, like half a second. It does the same thing. And you can also map it to a key or keystroke if you want. So you could just you know, map it to a function key or one of the macro keys on the keyboard. Um, that way, I like it really well with the mouse because it just feels like a lot of continuity. Um, See, it's my... also built, built into some games as well. And that's neat, but I don't know. There's not a ton of games that have it. Um, but it would be really fun. Like their little demo app, they're, you're on a spaceship and you're shooting asteroids and the targeting system is just you look at the asteroid that you want to shoot and then just click the button to shoot. And like that was actually kind of fun because you can just take out tons of asteroids. You can look at stuff way faster than you can target stuff. Yep. Um, yeah, I, my main development machine has three 27-inch displays. Mm -hmm. And so I probably blow 20 minutes a day finding my cursor yeah that's when i was showing this to james <laughs> yesterday he said you know, he's got a similar setup like he just don't even you don't even need to narrow it in the where just put it on the right display that i'm looking at yeah like i've always just wanted multiple cursors in mac os or windows like just give me a cursor for every display i have no idea how that would work but... yeah I, I was trying to figure that out and uh, okay, we could probably get there. I mean, we can we can figure it all out in post with an update or something. Like maybe hold a button 
I don't know, like a, a mouse with a button to control the two different cursors. Or just a, a kind of like a KVM. You've got kind of an attention switcher key on the keyboard. So I'm looking at screen one. I'm looking at screen two. I'm looking at screen three. Mm-hmm. Yes, I don't know how well Toby works with multi-display setups. It's got a pretty good mm. field of view on the yeah. laptop. Like I can be way off to the side and it can still see where I'm looking. And they've got a little visualization that you can turn on to actually, it'll just show a little blob of where you're looking. It's not something you would want to leave on all the time, but it's it's cool to show other people what you're talking about. Um, it's also kind of neat. I was reading for a while, so I said, let's see how my eyes actually move when I'm reading. And it's amazing. I have learned the hard way over many years to basically look at two points on every line rather than scrubbing across while I'm reading. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I still fall back to the scrubbing across, but that's a much slower way of reading. Um, but if I can concentrate, I can just kind of bam, 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 all the way down the page. You kind of read from the peripheral vision. So yeah, it's neat. Um, it's, it's a surprisingly useful feature and uh, has some neat ramifications for games if people start implementing it it kind of makes me i know in the past on the podcast i expressed um reluctance to even consider eye tracking in vr but after using this for the two days that i've had it i really want eye tracking in vr (laughs) especially in those cases of like the windows mixed reality environment if i could just look around that environment and have focus with you know a click mechanism that would make navigating that so fast. It would make typing super fast. It'd be great. So you haven't talked me into buying one, but you have made me really excited about playing with yours. Yeah. When we it's have the cool. opportunity. So yeah, it's a, like I said, it was a, a massive laptop. It is a okay machine. Um, some of the reviews I watched on it, one guy in particular was talking about just how incredibly comfortable this headset is, and I don't see it. <laughs> um, I basically, in order to get this thing to not move around, I have to tighten it unreasonably tight and end up with like a giant red mark on my forehead. So the headset fits more like a crown than a strap, where it kind of falls into the back of your head um, and then on your forehead which is kind of nice because the, the headset itself is never actually putting any pressure on your cheeks. And it does have that little hinge mechanism, so I can pop that open and, and keep typing or keep working on the desktop. Oh, uh, you wanted that. Mm-hmm. It's not great, but it's totally passable. It's a little bit tricky with my glasses, but it's doable. It's not something that I would be doing like every minute, but I would be staying in VR as much as possible. Like, no, I need to get out and check something in one password, things like that. Um, but it is funny, like there's been a couple of times where like, I'm, I'm going to spend an hour in here and just see how much I can do with what's available in Windows Mixed Reality. And I'm not the best touch typer in the world, but uh, touch typing on a new laptop is even more tricky. <laughs> and then doing it when I can't see, even if I try to look, like, sorry, I'm wearing a headset. So it's been kind of funny. I've typed some pretty gibberishy things. I don't know that I'm going to be writing code that way yet. As a mixed reality headset, can't you set it to be kind of transparent? No. See, that's part of the marketing BS behind this. This is a VR headset. 
It is 100% a VR headset. Windows Mixed Reality is a platform that will eventually include things like the HoloLens and AR and VR apps and pretty much everything along that mixed reality spectrum. But this is a VR headset. It uses the cameras for inside-out tracking, but it doesn't use the cameras for pass-through in any way. But, but... Yeah, I know. You're, you're having the exact same reaction that every <laughs> other human on the planet has because Windows is confusing. But... It's a, it's a stupid But I don't understand. Screw. Exactly. Nobody does. It was a bad decision on Microsoft's part. If you... Like, Rev, Rev VR... Um, Reverend Kyle has done a whole rant on this, which is kind of amusing. And I totally agree with everything he said. Like, this is it's a VR platform. Don't call it what it's not. I understand what they're trying to do, but it's just a, a stupid marketing thing. And it would make sense if they also brought it out with an AR headset at the same time. Like, here's our mixed reality devices. You can get the VR one or the AR one or the one that sits in the middle. But no, they didn't do that. This is just VR. <laughs> okay sounds great yeah. yeah i mean it's not great definitely I'm, not i'm far more excited about playing with your laptop yeah i mean like i said I, I this is a handy device for development i would not recommend anybody go out to get this as their primary vr device you would have better you would have more fun with a daydream or a samsung vr than you would with this in my opinion it's neat. If you want to do a lot of productivity stuff, then yeah, take a look at it. Um, but if you want to play games, look elsewhere. <laughs> Definitely. Wow. Okay. Oh, one one last thing about the laptop. Uh-huh. Um, it's got fans in it, and they're they're not the loudest fans. Like, I've heard louder servers before. <laughs> louder? <laughs> I've heard louder servers, okay? Proceed. <laughs> I haven't heard louder laptops before, at least not within the last decade. Um, so I've already kind of come up with my own way of spinning it in case anybody complains and say, your laptop is really loud. I'll just tell them, no, it's got a free white noise generator built in. Yeah. Well, that's our show for today. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm VRHermit underscore Dave. And I'm VRHermit underscore Joe. If you get a chance, please uh, like us in your podcast player of choice or leave a review for us and tell your friends about us. Thanks for listening.